Broadcasting live from the 970 AM The Answer Studios. It's the Joe Elliott Show, live and local. Follow Joe on Facebook and on Twitter at Joe Elliott Show. Mr. Trump, with the exception of your family, have you ever been told no? Oh, many times. I've been told no by him. Many, many times. I mean, my whole life really has been a no, and I fought through it. I have been, and, you know, I talk about it. It, It's not been easy for me. It has not been easy for me. And, you know, I I started off in Brooklyn. My father gave me a small loan of a million dollars. I came into Manhattan, and I had to pay him back, and I had to pay him back with interest. Let's just put this in perspective. You said it hasn't been easy for you, but my dad gave me a million-dollar loan. That that probably is going to seem pretty easy to a lot of people. But a million dollars isn't very much compared to what I've built. All right, there he is, the Donald, talking about uh, he got that little million-dollar loan from dad back many years ago on a a town hall meeting on the Today Show. There's a lot of other things going on with uh, with the Donald here. We'll give you some sound. Uh, he was on with the Morning Joe crew this morning on MSNBC, and he talked about Iowa. Well, I don't get it. I, I'm going there actually today, and I have you know tremendous crowds and tremendous love in the room. And uh, you know, we seem to have hit a chord. But uh, some of these falls coming out, I don't quite get it. I was at, I was number one pretty much in Iowa for the, from the beginning. And I would say we're doing very well there. So I'm a little bit surprised. Uh, the other polls, as you know, in other states are extraordinary, actually. But this one I don't quite get. I would have thought we were doing much better. I think we are doing much better. You know, actually. Iowa's a really different place. George H.W. Bush beat Reagan in 1980, and and uh, Pat Robertson came in second, and Huckabee won, and Rick Santorum won. Are you going to write off Iowa like some other folks have done? No, I love Iowa. I love the people of Iowa. I've had a, a great relationship with the people of Iowa, made a lot of friends there. No, I wouldn't write it off at all. I would, you know, fight for it. I'll fight right to the end for it. And if I don't win it, I understand that can happen. But I will be fighting for Iowa. So the Donald talked about uh, about Ben Carson and his rise, which is pretty significant in Iowa right now. Well, I don't get it. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, it's, uh, you know, you look at different things having to do with Ben, and there's a lot of contradiction and uh, a lot of questions. We'll have to see. One thing I know about a front runner, you could analyze 15 different ways from China, and a lot of things will come out. You know, like uh, Ben was, uh, he was pro-abortion not so long ago, as everybody has told me. I don't know it personally, but that's what I've told. I've been told, and all of a sudden he's so hard on abortion under no circumstances virtually can there be exceptions and you say well how does that happen were you a pro and not long ago by the way and then all of a sudden you can't even have exceptions so that's an unusual stance and i think people will look at that and they'll look at lots of other things including you know what happened in hospitals and what he was working on and a lot of things i hear i just don't actually get it uh, but i give credit but i don't get it so this seems to be the era of the non-politician. That's what people, at least in the Republican Party, seem to want. Well, I have a lot of experience in politics. You know, you were alluding to it before. I, I've, all my life I've been involved. Every deal I've done practically has been political in some form, including many deals I've done outside because I'm all over the world. I'm doing many deals right now all over the world. And I deal with prime ministers. I deal with heads of countries. And, you know, I deal, I'm, I've always been very political. This is the only time I've been a so-called politician four months ago. I became a politician, which is hard to believe, actually, if you think about it from my standpoint. This is something I never so 
saw happening for myself. But I've been a very political person for many years. I do think this, that people are extremely unhappy with their politicians, including the president, including Congress. You look at what's going on there, it's a mess. And I think that people are so, disgusted with politicians. Well, we do have a new poll out um, as of this morning. It looks like the Donald is uh, is trailing in the first national poll via CBS News. Mika Brzezinski asked Donald Trump about that this morning. Well, look at these numbers that just crossed. It's the CBS News New York Times poll. Ben Carson at 26 percent and you at 22 within the margin of error. Marco Rubio at eight. Is that nationally? National. This is a national poll nationally. And uh, Marco Rubio is at eight. Carly Fiorina at seven. Jeb Bush at seven. It, it looks right now, Donald, and this is within the margin of error, but it looks right now in the middle of October like a two person race between you and Ben Carson. Why should Republican voters vote for you instead of Ben Carson? Because I will make the best trade deals. I will be strongest and best on the military. I will get rid of Obamacare. You know, Ben wants to knock out Medicare. I heard that on, over the weekend. He wants to abolish Medicare. And I think, you know, abolishing Medicare, I don't think you're going to get away with that one. Uh, and it's actually a program that's worked. So it's a program that some people love, actually. So uh, if you look at what's, uh, what's going on with our country, if you take a look at the horrible deals that we've made, including the Iran deal, including even you take a look on a different subject, Sergeant Bergdahl, we get Bergdahl, they get five of the killers that they've wanted for a long period of time. I mean, you know, it's, the whole thing is ridiculous. And that's why people are just so unhappy. I will make some of the great trade deals. I will bring, I will bring our jobs back. I'll bring our money back. I'll bring our manufacturing back. Ben cannot do that. All right, so let's talk about uh, Jeb Bush. His, his, many say was his other big uh, competitor, but, boy, Jeb has just not done very well. Does Jeb Bush actually have what it takes? I don't know. We'll find out. Let's see what happens. I mean, so far, his campaign has not been good. He's spent a lot of money on hiring people. He spent tremendous amount. And this is what I mean by negotiating. I've spent the least amount of money of anybody, and I have the best result. Because in every poll, other than these Iowa polls, I, I am number one. But uh, And now I see this new one. But uh, I've spent the least amount of money. Now... You know, you can make the case. Now, I'm willing to spend whatever it takes. I have more money than anybody by far. You know, somebody was saying somebody has $12 billion in the bank. Take a look at how much it costs them to raise money, too, where Ben has $20 million, but it cost him $11 million to raise it, and you take that out. So you deduct the 11 from the 20. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of money that they spend to raise the money. Now, in my case, I have the money, and I'm, I'm you know, willing at the right time. You have to wait till the right time, but at the right time, I'm willing to spend whatever is necessary. All right. Donald Trump talking about um, his campaign here at 970 AM. The answer, you're listening to The Joe Elliott Show. 5710970 is my telephone number if you would like to uh, to join us. So he was asked by Willie Geist on the panel, you seem to tout those polls when you're up and you don't seem to believe the polls when you're down. Well, I think you have to understand polls. And when I was at school, when I was at Wharton, we actually had a case on polls. We had a, a one-month study on polls. And I, I believe in <laughs> polls. I generally believe in polls. The thing with these polls, they're all so different. They're coming from all over the lot where one guy's up here and somebody 
everybody else is up there or you see swings of 10 and 12 points and you know like immediately even the same day so right now it's not very scientific i think it's it's very hard when you have this many but overall mark i am a believer in polls i think they say something at least they spot a trend all right, you're listening to the Joe Elliott Show at 970 AM, The Answer. If you have a comment here, I'd like to hear what you have to say. 5710970 is my telephone number, 5710970. I'm sorry, Gary, where do we go next here on the Donald? Pax, the Donald talks about Pax, and he thinks Pax, he's talked about this over the last couple of, of days, he thinks Pax are really out of control. Here. Well, I think that the whole thing of Pax is a disgrace. I think it's a scam. I think it's a disgrace. I disavowed, you know, I had nine or 11 or some huge number of packs set up for me by people that I don't even know. I mean, people set them up. I see them on television all the time talking about, and some are saying, you know, very. they're all saying sort of good things about me. I just don't know. I have no idea what they're going to do with the money. And they raise money and they spend money, but a worse trend has taken care of because that you could almost say is the way it's supposed to be. But if you look at Ben Carson, his pack is running his Iowa campaign, and it's not supposed to be done like that. And you look at Jeb Bush, where he has his office near his his pack. You know, it's supposed to be totally independent. In theory, they're not even supposed to be talking to each other. And now, all of a sudden, in fact, there was an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal where they've just about given up, and they're practically taking over the campaigns. They're running the campaigns because these guys don't have any money, so the packs have money. And this is totally not supposed to be the way it's allowed. Out and the FEC is not doing anything about it. So the PACs now are totally out of control. And those are the people that are like puppets. They're controlling the candidate. And I'm the only one that's not, I don't, I disavow all PACs. I'm the only one that's self-funding. I don't know if I, I get credit you get for in, that. You I, in a way, I feel foolish. Point. But well, in a way, I question? feel foolish. But these PACs have totally taken over. All right. Five seven one zero nine seventy. Let's say hi to Rob. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey, Joe. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, Rob. How are you? I'm doing well. So from a paleo-conservative standpoint, uh, which is pretty much what I am, my only guy really that I've supported all along has been Rand, but obviously he's in the uh, kind of toddler numbers right now. Um, so I, I don't know uh, you know, if he's going to be able to turn it around. I hope he does. Um, but we'll, I guess we might find out on Thursday. But among the guys that have a shot at this point, it seems, I absolutely have no – um, good things to say about Carson in terms of his positions. I think he's a nice man. Um, he's definitely an amazing, you know, doctor and all these things. But I just I can't get down with him on vaccines. I can't get down with him on what he's talked about um, with some of his policies on on uh, Iran and different things like that. So I can't support him. The thing about Trump, and I called you like a month or so ago and said the same thing. I really don't agree with Trump on hardly anything um, as it relates to the fact that he, he is so much of a big government guy. He seems more of a centrist. But I think at this point, anybody we elect as a Republican that's among the front runners is going to be the same way. I mean, you're, Marco Rubio is like that. Jeb Bush is obviously like that. So I look at it like this. Who do I think can go in there and be the most pragmatic um, and make the most make the best calls in the moment and I, I honestly with trump's business background i trust him more than i trust any of those politicians to do it and i think that's where a lot of other people are that does not mean i support him i'm not endorsing all of his positions but if, if you say rob uh you know you got to throw a statist in there that's gonna 
you know, be a populist type president and it has to be Hillary, Jeb, Trump or whoever, I'm going to take the outside guy yeah. every single time because of what we've seen in the past few years. Well, I, I you know, I don't know. Um, I think that it's to me, it's still unlikely that Donald Trump's going to be your president. But I mean, I guess anything is 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 possible at this point. He seems to be running a pretty strong campaign. It's a national strategy that he's, you know, he's been working in in Florida. He's been working all over the all over the Southeast, and I I think he's, you know, he seems to be um, he seems to be connecting with people. So I, I guess we'll see. In terms of Ben Carson, there's a guy I can't really see. I can't really see that he really ha- that he has staying power. Maybe he does. I just I can't imagine that we're going to actually elect Ben Carson after all is, has gone on here. Yeah. My biggest fear with Trump is that he'll try to run everything just like a CEO. And, and, in a, and a lot of people think that's what we need. And I used to, honestly, last uh, 2012 election, that's one of the reasons why I bit my lip and voted for Romney was because I was like, this guy you know, can run this thing like a CEO. But the, longer, the more I've studied all this in the last few years, the more I realize that's not really what we need. We need somebody who can be a pragmatist like a CEO, but somebody who wants to get government out of our lives. And I, I'm afraid with Trump he, he won't be that way. But, again, when you throw him in there, I think he's going to make – he's going to be the sharpest guy to make the decisions. He Yesterday morning he was on um, the, the town hall. Right. And they asked him – one of the ladies in the crowd asked him to give a, a four-point plan about his um, – a couple of his stances on uh, on the economy. And he was like, listen, I could give you a plan right now. He's like, and it would look better than anybody else. But he's like, when you lived your life the way I have, you know, everything's a deal. And in the moment, it's going to change. And every one of these plans these politicians give you, they change and they never come true. And that, honestly, that sit very well with me because he's right. And I'm in business too. And that's how it works. You don't put a plan together. And it, even a business plan, it doesn't stay the same. You, you constantly evolve and change it. So I think with him, you know, he's just being real. He's saying, look, I'm not going to sit here and, and give you the exact thing I'm going to do, but I can tell you I can make the deals, I can make the trade deals, I can pull in the right people. And that sounds a lot better to me than what somebody like Rubio saying. But I'll let you go, Joe. Thanks for your time. I appreciate your call, Rob. Five seven one zero nine seventy. my telephone number. We are back with more of the Joe Elliott Show on 970 AM, The Answer. Need more fodder while arguing with your liberal friends? We've got you covered. 970 AM. The answer. It's the Joe Elliott Show at 970 AM. The answer, 5710970. You want to join us. Let's say hello to Jim, who has a Trump comment. What's going on, Jim? Yeah, uh, Joe. I, I have two quick comments. First, about Donald Trump is what amazes me is that they wanted this man to vow that he wouldn't run an independent con- uh, campaign if he didn't get the nomination. And now we have all these candidates saying he can't be president, he shouldn't be president, he shouldn't be the nominee. And I think that it's going to come back to bite him. I really and truthfully believe that Jeb Bush would vote for Hillary Clinton before he'd vote for Donald Trump. And you I may be right. And a sad state for the Republican Party. You may be right. And the second thing, you know, and they was worried about him. The second thing is, uh, I'm, I, I'm in Indiana, and I know that I don't get a chance to vote in Kentucky, but here's what I think is a sad situation. The election coming up, you guys are going to have more people or less people vote than you do on your uh, Medicaid rolls, and I think that's sad. I think that's very sad. <laughs> well, I, maybe be very. It'll be close. Yeah, that's yeah, a that's I, a good I, point. I, I think that if the Democratic Party just get out the Medicaid rolls, they'd win every time. Uh, and, well, and, and, and Kentuckians ought to be sad that they're going to elect a governor with about twenty five percent. Some say even twenty percent of the uh, population that's allowed to vote. And I think that's 
uh, Sanford, Kentucky, and I love Kentucky. I really do. But I, I just I think it's sad for that you're going to elect the governor. It's going to run your state with about twenty percent. I appreciate twenty percent of people voting. Well, absolutely. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Five, seven, one, zero, nine, 70 is my telephone number. You're listening to the Joe Elliott show. I think it's all going to come down to turnout. Is it not? It's all going to be about who can turn out the votes and get people to the polls and all that goes with that coming up one week from today. Uh, Donald Trump was asked about the biggest mistake that he's ever made. Well, I think that uh, I have learned that uh, it's. I, I want to be extremely cautious with words because you can say one word that you think is great at an audience. You may be in a local audience in New Hampshire where I have such a great feel and, and such great friendships in New Hampshire. And you may say something, one word, and you know it's a little bit controversial, but you're in this audience. And the next day it's the front page of a newspaper. So you do have to be very careful with your language. There's no question about it. But you, you, and you said also when you were asked uh, about a month ago what you do differently. It seems like you said that again, you would guard your words a bit more carefully. I think so. And, you know, it, it works well in a room with, you know, a thousand people or two thousand people and you're all having a lot of fun together. Yeah. But in the meantime, Mark Halpern sitting in the back of the room with his notebook. Yeah. And it ends up being uh, a, somewhat, a somewhat catastrophic word. So everyone's laughing. Everyone's having a good time until the next day when I say, you know, I shouldn't have said that. So you have to be very careful with your words. All right, there he is, the Donald. And you do, you have to be careful with your words. And, and he's never had the kind of scrutiny that he has now. But this new public, this new poll from CBS News is really interesting, which shows Ben Carson up by four. Uh, this is a national poll. Ben Carson up by four over the Donald. This is nationally. Now, we're only talking about less than 600 people were, were surveyed here, and it's a telephone survey, so... You know, I wouldn't just bet the farm on this one, but still you've got Carson at 26, Trump at 22. Then we go down to uh, Marco Rubio at 8%. And then you've got uh, Jeb and Carly, which are tied at 7%. And then you've got uh, the rest of the field at 4%. Now we'll see what happens tomorrow night at the debate. Of course, we've got the kids' table debate at 6. We've got the big boy debate at 8. And... There are several sort of subplots here, the, the the battle between Trump and Carson and how this is going to happen, uh, what Jeb Bush is going to do tomorrow night to try to revitalize his campaign. He met with a brain trust this weekend, and there's no question that things are not going well. So that will be interesting, and there will be other interesting uh, subplots in tomorrow night's debate as well. How does Carly Fiorina try to revitalize? She was red hot for a few weeks. Then there's Chris Christie, who tells us any day he's going to break through, but it really hasn't happened. Rubio and Cruz seem to be poised to make a move. Will they, in fact, be able to do it? Well, I guess we'll have to see. All right, short time out. We're coming right back. You're listening to The Joe Elliott Show. We are back after this at 970 AM, The Answer. Joe Elliott Show on 970 AM. The answer. Follow Joe on Facebook and on Twitter at Joe Elliott Show. If you've got questions, we've got answers. 970 AM. The answer. 
Welcome back, Joe Elliott, 970 AM The Answer. 5710970 is my telephone number. Well, last night, apparently, Congress and the President got it done. They have agreed on uh, something that appears to settle the last budget fight they're ever going to have to have, reaching a tenement deal, a, a, a tentative deal that would modestly, according to some reports, increase spending over the next two years. It would cut some social programs. It would raise the federal borrowing limit. Now, this idea we were we were not going to bust those caps. Well, it looks like we're going to bust some of those caps. It's got to be approved, of course, by the House and the Senate, but it would avert the what some would say was a cataclysmic situation where we would default on the government's debt. Um that is the issue that has been uh, rocking Capitol Hill as John Boehner is uh, packing up and expecting to, uh, to to walk away. Turn it over to Representative Paul Ryan next week. Looks like Ryan will be voted in as the new Speaker of the House. So last night, shortly before midnight, the House Republicans posted the, uh, the text of the 144-page bill on their website. It's labeled uh, Discussion Draft. But it appears to uh, reflect a tentative agreement, as has been described by congressional aides. So it would raise spending by $80 billion over the two years. That's not including a $32 billion increase included in an emergency war fund. Uh, those increases would be offset by cuts in spending on Medicare and Social Security disability benefits and savings or revenue from other programs like selling oil from the nation's strategic uh, petroleum reserves. The Medicare savings would come from cuts in payments to doctors and to other health care providers. The $80 billion increase uh, amounts to about 1% per year of the nearly $4 trillion annual federal budget. But, of course, there is the significance of breaking through the agreed-to spending caps. Of course, Republicans said this was a rare display of responsible Co-control, cost control, and co-control by Democrats and Republicans. Well, the Democrats said this was, uh, we just need to do this, and, and the Democrats kind of won that battle, Appear it appears. Um, so after years of gridlock in Congress, it appears like we've got a, a deal, at least on fiscal issues. Um. Each side compromised on some core issues, it appears. No more budget battle. John Boehner says he's looking to clean out the barn here. He's looking to, um, you know, get all of this sort of done before he walks away at the, it's supposed to be at the end of the week. I think he's going to stay a little more than that. Uh, he wants to turn things over to uh, Speaker Ryan with a lot of things that are done. 
And, of course, this is great for President Obama. He, he uh, is happy with this deal and doesn't want to fight about it. Boehner uh, made a pledge to clean up the barn and dispense with a lot of these crises issues. So apparently he is doing that. I, I don't know what the Freedom Caucus and others are going to say about this. But I guess we'll find out here sooner than later. And how much vote will, how many votes will this thing generate? It appears that it will have enough to pass. You're going to have Democrats and Republicans both voting for it. So we'll see. 5710970 is my telephone number if you'd like to join us. 5710970. There's still a couple of other political things at loose ends here. I thought what what Ted Cruz had to say in Houston yesterday about George W about Jeb Bush and the Bush family. I thought what Senator Ted Cruz had to say yesterday was really kind of interesting. To date, our campaign has raised over $10.9 million from the state of Texas, far more than any candidate in the field. And part of the strength of the campaign, the campaign altogether has raised over $26.5 million in just over six months. And we finished the last quarter reporting the most cash on hand of any Republican in the field. This state continues to respect the Bush family. I certainly do. I hold the family in, in high regard. They have a remarkable legacy of public service, uh, a decency, a, a commitment uh, to, to, to making a difference that I very much respect. I think at the same time, Texans recognize circumstances have changed. Seven years of Barack Obama in Washington. In politics, there are a handful of consultants in Washington who always advise to Republicans, the way to win is run to the middle. Run to the mushy middle, sound like Democrat light. It's an interesting theory, but every single time we do it, we lose. Well, yeah, um, you can make the argument the other way that the, uh, the, the really strong conservatives lose big elections, the moderates lose big... I, I, don't, I don't know. You can, you can argue this a lot of different ways. I think you have to be who you are and hope for the best, I guess. Um, there's another issue on the uh, Democrat side, which I think is really kind of interesting. Um, Bernie and Hillary are into it about guns. Here's what Bernie Sanders said about uh, Mrs. Clinton's got to stop shouting about guns. As a senator from a rural state, what I can tell Secretary Clinton, that all the shouting in the world is not going to do what I would hope all of us want, and that is keep guns out of the hands of people who should not have those guns and end this horrible violence that we are seeing. All right, Mrs. Clinton chose to respond to that, not really talking about guns, but to take offense at what Bernie said. I've been told to stop, and I quote, shouting about gun violence. Well, first of all, I'm not shouting. <laughs> it's just when women talk, some people think we're shouting. <laughs> I've been told to stop shouting about ending gun violence. Well... I haven't been shouting, but sometimes when a woman speaks out, some people think it's shouting. But I won't 
be silenced, and I hope you won't be either. How many more people have to die before we take action? Absolutely not. Let's remember when Bernie Sanders said you've got to stop shouting about gun violence. What he was really doing was victimizing women. Yeah, that's what he was doing. Well, Bernie answered yesterday. What I was talking about very clearly is that all across this country, you got people shouting at each other. Right, but she's, she's suggesting that you're saying well, she is, that she's shouting and that, well, let's, and that you, when you hear a woman well, talking, not, you think that they're shouting. Uh, well, <laughs> what can I say? That's just not the case. What can you say? That's, I don't know, silly uh, trying to pander to women, trying to exploit. Uh, Mrs. Clinton, you really know better than this. You know. I mean, it, the New York Times even went back and did this whole thing about Bernie Sanders has been talking about shouting about guns for a long time. This is not directed at you. This is not about trying to discount women. This is not, well, you know, women don't have a voice. She knows that. She is not stupid. She's not, I mean, she is really too smart for this. But she sees it as a possible political, as some sort of a political advantage, and she can rally women with this, make them feel victimized, make them feel exploited. I can't imagine that a lot of women are going to feel victimized by that, but I, I guess maybe some will be. But this is the kind of thing that's just so disappointing about Hillary Clinton. I think she's very bright. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think she she clearly has a uh, I mean she she is strong enough she can be in the room with anybody and hold her own there's no doubt about that in my mind She is a strong person strong personality a lot of grit but she will say anything uh she will exploit the situation in any way that she can in order to have a political gain. And I understand. I mean, it's all about winning for Hillary. I get that. I understand. Look, everybody wants to win, and I get that. But is there never a time when you might draw a line here? I mean, to me, this is, this is, so, this is so Hillary. Uh, rules don't apply to her and all that kind of stuff. We've talked about that many times. But she'll essentially say anything... To get some, she's not above exploiting any situation to, to try to get some kind of advantage. It's just, it's really disappointing that someone who might be, I know you may not like it, might be the next president of the United States would do this. I mean, it really is. It, it's just, it's, maybe it's not a big deal. I think it's a big deal. I think it's who Hillary is. It's, it's the thing, it's the kind of thing that I find most troubling about her. I understand a lot of us are going to disagree about a lot of things. I get that part. I'm really okay with that part. But that's just so exploitive. She knows better than that. She's not stupid. She knows better than that. He's not, he's not trying to discount women. Now, there are times when people try to discount women, and I think it's fine for her to stand up and say, and I, I guess we all have to make our own decisions about that, but she she knows what she's doing here. 
I'm just not buying this. All right, short timeout. We'll come right back. We'll talk about eating meat when the Joe Elliott Show continues on 970 AM, The Answer. Saying, I don't know, is no longer acceptable. This is 970 AM, The Answer. Welcome back, Joe Elliott, 970 AM, The Answer. That's the place. Well, Jonathan Schoenfeld is a uh, professor at Harvard. He's looked into this whole situation. He talked to PBS last night about the the report from the World Health Organization about uh, meat, particularly processed meats and its carcinogen effects. How concerned should we be? Here's what Dr. Schoenfeld says. So I think it's important to realize that what the World Health Organization did was, like you said, looked at hundreds of studies uh, and put the evidence from those studies together to show that the consumption of processed or red meats uh, was, was quite possibly associated with an increased risk of a variety of different types of cancer. Now. What these studies did was look at the overall risk of cancer, um, and so it's hard to say that any one piece of bacon, for example, or, or piece of meat would increase your risk of cancer by a certain amount. But in total, you know, these studies show that being one of the people who consume the most amount of meats or processed foods uh, could potentially increase your risk of these cancers. All right, so what do we consider pro to be processed meats? It's actually a definition that encompasses uh, a variety of different ways to add flavor or to help preserve the meats. So the different studies that the World Health Organization looked at might have had a slightly different definition of what processed meats meant. So it could be things like salting, it could be things like adding chemicals to help preserve the food or to help add flavor to these different foods. All right, so is it the adding flavor, the salting, the chemicals, is it the processing or is it in fact the cooking of these meats which leads to all these problems? You really couldn't say um, and the authors of this report admit as much. Uh, what they could look at is the total. So the, the act of processing the meat or the consumption of the processed meat uh, was associated with an increased risk of cancer, but the studies don't allow you to actually dissect that further and figure out what exactly it is about processed meats that may lead to the increased risk. All right, so what about processed chicken and processed turkey? Let's say we stay away from beef and pork and we have processed chicken and turkey. How about that? So, you know, it's something that, that is unknown. Um, you know, there's certainly some rationale to think that that might be the case, but these studies specifically looked at the processing of, of red meat uh, and whether or not that posed an increased risk of these types of cancers. All right, now what about this idea? It's hard to believe. Hot dogs are as bad as cigarettes? Oh, come on. The World Health Organization classifies things into their risk categories based upon the level of evidence and not uh, upon the magnitude of risk. So while it may be in the same category as cigarette smoking, the magnitude of the risk associated with processed meats does not nearly compare to the magnitude of risk that's been found with cigarette smoking. What that determination just means is that there are numerous studies that have found similar findings. Uh, the risk the relative risk for smoking is, is much higher. And unlike the consumption of meats, uh, the consumption of, of excess cigarettes or tobacco doesn't provide any nutritional benefits. 
So you think this case may be just a tad overstated? Yeah, I think it's important to understand this, the strengths and limitation of, of this type of study and this type of recommendation. Uh, I think we can have more confidence in the results because the methodology that is used is looking at not one study by itself, but m the aggregate findings of many and indeed hundreds of studies. But it's important to realize that the magnitude of the effects and the absolute increase in risk, in risk uh, with the excess consumption of processed meats or red meat is actually relatively small, especially with other things that we can modify in our lifestyle and diet, such as cigarettes smoking. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's reasonable to, to be mindful of these findings, but I, I don't think that it's, you know, should warrant an overall change in, in people's lifestyles at this point. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I think that's good information. Dr. Jonathan Schoenfeld from the, from the Harvard Medical School talking about this this morning. And how about the, your hot dogs? 2% of the hot dogs tested had human DNA. Oh, geez. Stephen Colbert had the best line of the day. He said, gosh, maybe my baloney really does have a first name. <laughs> All right, let me get a quick, let me get a very quick comment here from Brian. Hey, Brian, you're on the air. Good morning. Yeah, Joe, I was going to say, uh, you know, the, the thing with the human DNA is a lot of people I've heard say is, is just a sanitation issue or some right, kind right. like that. I exactly. mean, it, it's not, it's not what's being made out to believe. And, and this World Health Organization, this isn't my thought. It's not original to me, but Instead of attacking the first world's food supply, why don't we figure out a way where the first world and the third world can work together so that the third world can grow their own food and have sound, you know, agricultural practices, and and then they can survive better. Instead of sitting here complaining about what I'm able to eat because I live in the United States, where why, why, you know, why aren't they working on that? That that seems like it would be a, a, a hell of a lot more progress could be made in that department than whether or not I'm eating bacon or bologna or or whatever. I mean, moderation is everything. So they're not telling me anything I wouldn't know already. Well, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, we've been eating animal flesh since the beginning of time, really. And yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm sure there are some studies, and I, maybe it does. I'm sure it does. My guess is that it would, it would probably increase your, I think living increases your cause, your your chance of, of yeah, a lot of these every diseases. day right so i mean i just wouldn't get i think the guy is right let's not get too overblown about this about this whole thing brian thanks very much for the call unfortunately we are out of time on this morning's edition of the joe elliott show we'll do it again tomorrow starting at eight mike gallagher's next the joe elliott show on 970 a.m the answer follow joe on facebook and on twitter at joe elliott show